Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you. And there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. Good morning. So glad that you guys are here. If this is your first time or you've been coming for a period of time and you've never taken the opportunity to connect with us, we want a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And so like they said on the screen, you can either scan that QR code or you can take, if you're old school, like I'm a little old school, which means I'm I'm an old head. So I'm old school. I'm almost 50. And so I'm still a paper guy. And so I take the little paper out of the seat back in front of me. It says hello across the top. There's a spot where you can fill in your information. Just tear the bottom part off. We would love the opportunity to get to know you and to get to connect with you. Maybe you've been coming here for a period of time, but you've never taken the opportunity to uh, become a part of our team. That's so amazing. It just enriches your uh, experience while you're here. And so we would love for you to be a part of our team. And so the first step to that is growth track and just stop by the Welcome Center today and they'll let you know how to do that. Also, maybe you don't know that we have an amazing world-class kids ministry. I'm biased, but I've been to lots and lots of different churches with lots of kids ministries. And one of the things that I'll say about here is ours is incredibly genuine. It's incredibly entertaining and your kids will leave knowing a whole lot more about themselves and about Jesus than when they got there. And when Pastor Barry moved here, who did prayer, when he moved here from Tennessee, one of the things that he said is that Pastor Dallas, our children's pastor, he should have his own show on TV. He is an incredible personality and loves Jesus and loves kids. And you want your kids to be a part of that. And so if you have kids in here and you didn't take the opportunity to check them in, there's still time for you to do that. There's still people that are waiting for you to do that. But maybe you're uncomfortable to hand your kids over to somebody who you haven't met or who you've just Matt, we've made plans for you too. On my right, your left, there are two rooms. One is called the family room and the other is called the nursing mom's room. And those rooms are equipped with one-way glass, which means that you can see us, but we can't see you except for right now. It makes me look like a liar if the doors are open, then you could see in there. But here's the most important part is you can hear us, but we can't hear you. More importantly, we can't hear your child. And that means like if your child starts bugging out in the middle of this service, Take them out. Just do everybody a favor. Don't, don't take them out. Like, take them out, take them out. But like, just <laughs> remove them from the service. Just take them. And you can take them in that room. And here's the thing, especially if you're a mom in here. This is something I've discovered. Uh, m- m- moms and dads have the same ears, but we've got different ears. We've got the same ears. Like, they look the same. Normally, they function the same, except for me. I always have to have subtitles on movies, which is super annoying to Sunny. She's like, bro, seriously. I'm like, dude, I can't understand anything that they're saying. This is ridiculous. So maybe I have just, you know, ears that don't, just your ears don't work. But here's the thing that they work with. They work with kids. When kids are being loud, I am ultra sensitive to that. And so if you're a mom, you don't know nothing about that. Because moms have mastered the art of selectively ignoring their kids. As a dad, 
I will look at Sunny and I'll say, did you hear you know, something my kids say? And she's like, Mm-mm, nope, I don't know anything you're talking about. She has learned how to tune those kids out. So if you're one of those people who you have learned to tune your kids out, just know your neighbor hasn't. And so if your child starts pulling the hair of the person in front of them, if they start kicking the chair in front of the person in front of them, if they start having a whole different conversation about something other than what the whole rest of the room is talking about or listening to, just take them in that room and or put them in front. We, have, we already have too many TVs around here anyway, so they all have the service playing on them. And so you can have them watch in front of that. Speaking of kids, if you've never had your kids dedicated in church, then we would love the opportunity to play that part with you. Uh, November the 21st, we will have child dedication here in this auditorium, both services. If you've never been to a service where we have a baby dedication or child dedication, it's one of my favorite things. First of all, the stage is usually full of families and usually something you don't expect to happen happens. Two times ago, somebody pooped on the stage. Their kid was so embarrassed of them. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. <laughs> it took a while, but you got it. Anyway, so it was a baby. But a baby just pooped all over the stage. It was awesome. It got on people's shoes. It was, it didn't get on mine, so I thought it was hilarious. And so I love this, having these kids up here and this opportunity to get to play that part in their life. And so if your kids haven't been dedicated, we would love for that. November the 21st. Anyway, I love you. And I'm so glad that you're here. And I know that you're like, bro, shut up and get into the message because kickoff is at noon. So watch the screens. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stand firm. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians one, yes, we're still in one. We're three weeks in, but we haven't gotten out of one. If you don't have a traditional Bible, but you'd like one, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your smart device and open up the YouVersion app, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and the scriptures and points. Those have already been uploaded. Of course, we'll also put the scriptures up here on the screen behind me, just trying to make it as convenient as possible for you. If you're watching us online at one of our other sites, at one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, I love you guys, and I'm so glad that you are a part of our family. I'm loving you guys and so glad that you guys are a part of our family. And so you're either uh, the artist formerly known as the Redskins fan, or you just love Jesus more than you love football. Either way, I'm so excited that you're here. And so the Bible starts out... Uh, with this relatively short but really stunning account of how God created everything and he did it just by using words. And in the midst of the story of day and night, oceans and land, the sun, the moon, the stars, the fish, the animals, Adam and Eve, is, is this simple phrase of what God did immediately after creating those first two human beings. That statement is what I want to talk about today in a message that we're calling, I am 
blessed. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are grateful to you. This is the day that you have made. And so we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. So today I pray that your Holy Spirit that was here before we got here would bubble up in this place. That the Holy Spirit that lives within us, God, would bubble up in us. That when we leave this place, we would be purified of everything that we shouldn't have in us, God. That when we leave this place, we would be less like us and more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, watch this, and God blessed them. Hmm. And God blessed them. The very first thing that God did for humanity before he did anything, before humanity did anything, the Bible says that God blessed them. They didn't ask for God to bless them, but God blessed them and he did it just because he's gracious, because he's good, because he's generous. And this insight into the heart of God is actually radically uncommon. If you study Almost any of the various world religions, you'd be hard-pressed to find any concept of God or a God as someone who is just good, as someone who delights in blessing people. But instead, the common picture of God, whether you capitalize that or have a small g, is that he has to be manipulated, convinced, or coerced into blessing people. And so we have been consistently taught that we have to do something to be blessed. We have to suffer or squirm, pray or fast. We need to enter an alternate state of reality, repeat a mantra, own a sacred object. We have to make a large financial contribution, take a sacred pilgrimage, meet with a guru, a shaman, a priest or a pastor to make God bless us. And regardless of the method, the message is the same. You have got to somehow manipulate God to bless you. And Ephesus, the city to whom Paul wrote this beautiful letter, was all in on this idea. It was the epicenter for religious, religion and spirituality. People there traveled from all over the world multiple times a year just to be a part of festivals that were held only to manipulate the spirit world for their personal blessing. And so these people, they took part in these services. They took part in these ceremonies where throngs, mobs really of people would recite or they would chant what historians call the mystery rites or it's called the Ephesia Grammata. And the Ephesia Grammata is a spell of six untranslatable words that were only used to control and manipulate the spirit world for blessing. And these demonic occult practices were so common that when Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus, a riot, it broke out. And it broke out because the people who were profiting from the magical arts, they saw the message of Jesus as a threat to their economic well-being. People will always freak out <laughs> when you threaten their money. <laughs> and Paul was so opposed to their demonic message and he was so effective in spreading the message of Jesus that as soon as people were coming to Jesus, they were taking their books of spells and they were burning them. 
And so we see this story in the book of Acts that says the value of the books that were burned was 50,000 days wages. It was the modern equivalent of $5 million. And, and it was done by thousands and thousands of people, people who not only burned the books that they had, but wouldn't be ever buying books again. And so the people who were selling the books, the people who were leading this occultic practice. They bugged out. They tried to kill Paul, understandably. But beyond the money that was wrapped up in the books, the sheer number of books that was burned paints this picture of the spiritual climate of the city and explains why percentage-wise Paul talked about spiritual warfare and demonic power in Ephesians more than anywhere else in the entire New Testament. And so the city of Ephesus, it, it was filled with these occult groups and their biggest pursuit was the manipulation of the spiritual realm in pursuit of their personal blessing. And it's no different today. Uh, we're still trying to manipulate God to bless us. We, we don't see it that way because we view ourselves as more civilized. But the late great author C.S. Lewis said that we are often guilty of chronological snobbery. And that is where we arrogantly see people from the past as more naive or primitive or less sophisticated than us. <laughs> but the truth is, people have always been and will always be the same. People are as pagan in their thinking today as they've ever been. From trying to live as one with a cosmic force to trying to exercise the power of positive thought or positive talk, to organizing our homes with the proper feng shui for positive energy, we are trying to manipulate the spirit realm for our blessing. And so Paul wanted them and ultimately us to know, you don't have to do that. We don't need to manipulate God to bless us. He already has. And Jesus said, God's a good father. He delights in the blessing of his children with good gifts. And so any effort to manipulate him for blessing is as unnecessary as asking him to make water wet. It's already been done. <laughs> and I have to wonder if this misunderstanding of God needing to be appeased is why Paul began his letter to the Ephesians with one of the most dense verses in the entire Bible, what we now know as Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. But the original writing of this train of thought, it reveals just how passionate Paul must have been. Uh, Paul was uh, typically a very eloquent writer. You know, there are people who are naturally gifted at writing. I, I am naturally gifted at writing. That's how my brain works. Now, my brain doesn't naturally work mathematically, but in school, I always did very good in English classes because when I when I write, I have this way of, of hearing what it will sound like when it goes on the page. And so you probably know somebody in your life who when you write something, you would submit that thing to that person and you would ask them to review it uh, before you, you submitted it. And so Paul was one of those people. Paul was an incredible author. He was not only a great orator, he was a fluent author. And, and yet these these 12 verses, uh, they were originally written in Greek as one long run-on sentence. It's 202 words in the Greek. And there's not even any punctuation. 
It's like Paul was like so animate about this idea that he's writing that he didn't even want to take the time to pause to put a comma. And it's like this huge, like uh, it's like an outpouring of this idea that is so counterintuitive to Paul. I love the Apostle Paul. I relate to the Apostle Paul, partially because Paul before Jesus was a word it would just be, it'd be poor taste to say it. He was a bit of a, you know, something you shouldn't say from the stage. He, he definitely, uh, he was a button pusher. He was a challenger. I don't know what he would have been on the Enneagram, but I definitely, I relate to him. He's, um, he comes across at times sarcastic, which I love, but some people don't love that. Like, uh, one of the things that Sonny learned in Journey to Wholeness, which I must have skipped this lesson, but she tells me that sarcasm is a form of abuse. And I go, okay, Sonny. <laughs> okay, it's weird to be sensitive. <laughs> it's my native tongue. I love sarcasm. It's my favorite humor. I love actually making fun of people. It just makes me feel bad, but it makes me laugh. I feel bad later. But in the moment, it's like, you know, making fun of people to me it's like donuts. It's great in the moment. <laughs> then you take your shirt off. You're like, oh my God. How many donuts? Was I eating donuts in my sleep? <laughs> I didn't know they caught up to you that fast. And so Paul is like really sarcastic, like a challenger. And yet when you read these verses or, you know, his one sentence, he goes into great depth. This idea that God wants to bless his people. And he starts out by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, not who will, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And the idea of blessing in the original translation is actually twofold. It can be to speak well of, or it can be to bestow a favor upon. And so what Paul is saying is that God is both speaking life over us and pouring favor onto us. And in these 12 verses or those 202 original words, Paul gives a list of ways that God blesses us. And, and reading that list is like a literary version of the grand finale of a fireworks display with one massive blast of blessing after another, all building to this crescendo of an idea that before telling us us what we should do for God, Paul wanted us to know what God has already done for us, that he has already blessed us in multiple ways. And it's important that we grasp this because there are times where we don't feel blessed. But the truth is we always are blessed. We as humans have what's called selective amnesia. We are so focused on the blessings that we want that we forget the blessings we already have and the blessings we've already been promised. The blessings that Paul said were planned before the foundation of the world. Before he created day or night, oceans or land, the sun, the moon, the stars, fish or animals, Adam or Eve, he planned to know, to love, to save, and to bless you. And so Paul gives us six ways that God has already blessed us. Not six ways he will, six ways he already has. Here's the first. God has already blessed us with the blessing of holiness. Holiness. This is a struggle for us, particularly 
if, if you come from, uh, a, I would say, a liturgical background. Let me let you, let me let you know on an insider secret. This is just us. Um, I love church. Love it. It's part of, I mean, it's what I've given my life to. Somewhere in the midst of the transition from the book of Acts to now, uh, for some people, not all people, for some people, church has been weaponized. And I say that because it has been used as a tool or a weapon to do the opposite of what it was meant to do. Church in its or, origi, originate, originations, that's the Canadian in me coming out again, originations, originate like a boat and sorry. In its originations, church was meant to build you up or make you feel bigger. But somewhere along the line, leadership made church become something that tears you down, makes you feel bad. Church was never meant to make you feel small. Here's the deal. You don't need me to grow spiritually. Now, you do need this. That's why the Bible says, never neglect the gathering together. What that means is that you need each other. You need iron to sharpen iron. But you don't need me. I'm like a sprinkle. I'm just a guy who spends his whole week trying to figure out what you're thinking. But here's the deal. You have the same tools I have. You have, the, you have the same book that I have. When I went to college, I, I went to college. College really was a waste for me. It was just, uh, was just an excuse to play four more years of football. <laughs> if I wouldn't have been a football player, I would have went to Votech or would have just got a career right out of the gate. Yeah, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I went to college. I just... I mean, I, I, learned, uh, I learned how to bounce a ping pong ball into a red cup. I know that. that of course, I wasn't saved when I went to college like some of you were. But this uh, is just a lot of A lot of guys that uh, seemed like they were teaching about things that they couldn't actually do in the real world. College to me was like going to the zoo and looking at tigers. They look the part. I feel like if you let a tiger from the zoo out somewhere in India, I don't think he'd make it long. And that's how I felt about my professors. Maybe I was wrong. Now, when I went to grad school, number one, I had to pay for it, so I appreciated it. <laughs> and number two, I was there because I wanted to be there. When I got to my first class in graduate school, I, I was in a class on major profits, which isn't an economics class. It's a book about, you know, it's a class about books in the Bible. And the professor who incidentally uh, wrote the textbook that we had to use is $225 and you had to buy it. But I thought, this dude is a gangster. This is hustling, man. He ain't no different than the guys from Detroit. That's just, I'm a hustler, baby. I'm just saying, he, he was running game on everybody in that school. We came in for the class, and you're supposed to like look at the syllabus, whatever. That joker pulled out. First of all, he, he wrote a book about Jonah that was 600 pages. I was like, have you read Jonah? It's not, it's not 600 pages to be written about this cat. And so this was how he did the class. 
open your textbooks to page one. He spent the whole semester reading out the textbook. He didn't teach class, he just read the textbook. I was like, fool, I could have read the, I bought the book. I could have just read the book on my own. And it's the same here. You could read this thing for yourself. But the enemy and humanity has tried to teach you that you're not worthy. In fact, some people have taught you not to own this book. The devil is a liar. You better own this book and this book better own you. This is the whole story right here. And so when, when you receive Jesus, this book says holiness comes upon you. It is both positional and it is practical. And so in Christ, your position before God is holy and blameless. Jesus' work on the cross is what theologians call the great exchange. Our unrighteousness was placed upon Jesus who suffered and died in our place. And upon his resurrection, his righteousness was then bestowed upon us. And the result of that is, not, is that God now graciously sees you the same way that he sees Jesus, righteous and holy. And so practically that means we've been given new desires and that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out those desires. It doesn't mean you will never sin again, but that you can live in such a way that increasingly reflects the holiness of Jesus and the effects of his blessing in and on our lives. And so I wonder, in what ways has God changed you to become more holy because of Jesus' blessing? And secondly, how is he inviting you to make further changes to live at a greater level of holiness as to reflect Jesus' presence in your life more? You got to start asking yourself those questions to be an effective follower of Jesus. How has he already blessed me? And number two, what am I doing to reflect those blessings more? Here's a second, is that God has already blessed us with the blessing of adoption. Now, Paul says, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus. Now, God is a loving and affectionate father. And in Christ, you're adopted into his family. And it is an interesting metaphor. We're actually gonna spend an entire week talking just through this idea later in this series. But Paul was making this reference to the process of Roman adoption, where an adopted child typically found more favor than a biological child. And the reason for that is because in ancient Rome, adoption had a powerful meaning. When a child was born biologically, as a parent, you had the option of whether or not to keep that child. You could disown that child for whatever reason you wanted to. That child could be born with blonde hair, you wanted brown hair, gone. They could have little ears, you wanted big ears, swipe left. They could be ugly, they could be nappy, they could be naughty, they could be 12 years old, wiling out. You could look at that kid and say, gone out, I disown you. And legally, if you disowned a child in the Roman Empire, that child then became an orphan, which is why Jesus says, blessed are those who bless widows and orphans, people who have been disowned. But that wasn't the case if a child was adopted. In Rome, parents 
could not disown a child that they had adopted. They had to become a permanent part of the family. Plus an adopted child received a new identity and any prior commitments, responsibilities, or debts that they were carrying were automatically and permanently erased. Also, in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was part of daily life. It wasn't something that they waited until death for. So being adopted made someone the heir to their father, fully united to him and entitled to everything that he owned. Think about what that means to us as Christians. Spiritual adoption essentially doubles up on the power and significance of God's fatherhood. We have been blessed with the blessing of adoption. Here's the third, God has already blessed us with the blessing of redemption. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption in the church world, that's become a really spiritual sounding word, which it is spiritual. But practically speaking, redemption is this idea of exchanging a product for a payment or the clearing of a debt. Either way, spiritually or practically speaking, Jesus exchanged his life for ours. And practically speaking, in Christ, you're redeemed from whatever debt has been holding you back. Drugs, alcohol, food, sex, gambling, fear, guilt, shame. He's canceled our spiritual debt, which was eternal death. For the wages of sin is death. And he exchanged it for our eternal inheritance, which is everlasting life. But the gift of God is everlasting life. Here's the fourth. God has already blessed us with the blessing of forgiveness. Through his blood, we have been forgiven of our trespasses. I think that's an interesting word, trespasses, rather than the word sin. Trespass is being anywhere that you shouldn't be. Hmm. Like on that text stream with that person who's not your spouse, you're trespassing, you're on dangerous ground. Like at a bar when you know you can't hold your liquor, that's trespassing, it's slippery ground. There's so many different areas where you go, hmm, well, is this a sin? And you ask yourself, should I be there? So what deep regrets haunt you? What words have you spoken? Deeds have you done? Motives have you held? Lies have you believed? Harm have you caused? People have you grieved or shame have you carried? What have you done to appease your guilty conscience? Have you tried to deny your sin? Have you tried to blame others for it? Have you tried to minimize it, hide it, or punish yourself for it? Hmm. Did any of that work? <laughs> of course it didn't. But gratefully in Christ, you are totally, completely, and eternally forgiven. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus died for it all. You are forgiven. And when you are in Christ, God doesn't hold your sin against you. He isn't going to punish you for it. And he loves you in spite of it. Because you have been blessed with the blessing of forgiveness. Here's the fifth. God has already blessed us with the blessing of grace. We only receive forgiveness for our trespasses because of the riches of his grace. Generally speaking, grace is an outpouring of God's love. That's the purest definition of it. But theologically, there are actually two types of grace. There is common grace and there is saving grace. Now, God loves all people with common grace, but he loves people who have chosen to live in relationship with him with an additional saving grace. Now, God's common grace allows even people who despise him to learn and make gains in areas such as science, philosophy, technology, education, and medicine so that it can allow societies to flourish, families to exist, cities to rise up, and nations to prosper in hopes 
that those people will eventually choose to enter a relationship with him and step into his saving grace. And so even people who aren't submitted to God, he is blessing them in hopes that they will respond to that blessing by receiving his saving grace, which in addition to the innumerable benefits that common grace offers in this life, saving grace offers infinite benefits beyond this life as it reconciles us to God in Christ. You are chosen by grace. You are saved by grace. You are kept by grace, gifted by grace, empowered by grace, and sanctified by grace. You persevere by grace, and one day you're going to see Jesus face to face by grace. You have already been blessed with the blessing of grace. Here's the sixth and final is God has already blessed us with the blessing of being sealed. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And in the ancient world, owners would place a personal seal on their prized possessions, on things they were proud of, things they loved. And so Paul is saying, when God placed his Holy Spirit in you, he was placing his personal seal upon you. He was identifying you as a prized possession, something he's proud of, something he loves. It's an indicator that we are his and he is ours. And the seal of the Holy Spirit is more than just a symbol. He's the beginning of the blessings that await us as a part of our inheritance as his adopted sons and daughters. And so practically speaking, that means the blessings that we enjoy in this life are only the beginning. Consider the blessings that you've experienced in your life, your family, your friends, your career, your home, your healing, your hope, love, joy, peace, provision and deliverance, Christmases and Thanksgivings. Vacations, bonfires, and fishing trips. Your first paycheck. Holding your kids when they were born. Kissing your spouse on your wedding day. Those are incredible blessings. But consider this. The best days in this life are just an appetizer to the eternal life those who are in Christ have to come. And Paul understood that. And so these opening lines in Ephesians, they're really just a lengthy prayer of praise for the innumerable blessings that we have already received in Christ. And can you imagine how doing that would benefit you regularly praying prayers of gratitude? Like, like before you asked for more blessings, what if you thanked God for the blessings you already have? What if you sat down and took some uninterrupted time and you listed all your blessings, all the things you have to be thankful for? the breath in your lungs, the vision in your eyes, the sound in your ears, the smell in your nostrils, the thoughts in your brain, and the ability to speak with your mouth. I mean, don't we have so much to be thankful for? How would your life be impacted if you communicated that to God every day? A few years ago, God challenged me to start keeping a journal. I was living a life that lacked gratitude. And it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit reminded me. He said, do you have feeling in your fingers today? Then thank me. Were you able to get up out the bed today? Did, did you, now your knees cracked when you got up, but did they go all the way up? Did you have me to thank? Did your feet, did your feet work? You got all the toes, did all the little tigglies, you got them? Did all the little piggies are there? Yeah, you, you better thank me. 
Because you could wake up tomorrow and six of them be gone. You wouldn't appreciate your toes until you didn't have your toes. You feel me? Like God challenged me to start thanking him for the things that I already had. And that if I would thank him for the things that I already had, it would definitely taper off the things that I was praying to get. And so I started to keep a journal where I would just, just write down. And it's it, my prayers, they, all, they always start out with gratitude. And I think keeping a journal is a good way to do that because in times of struggle, you can go back and you can remember, you can recollect, you can reminisce on the ways that God has already blessed you. And, and so I think you should do the same thing. I think you should be people who keep a journal if you're not, and I want to help you with that. So I thought I want to do a little challenge. I love to give challenges. So I'm going to challenge you to keep a journal for the next two months. Now watch. Today is October 24th. So this challenge will take us to December 24th. Like, come on, man. If you don't have something to be thankful for on December 24th, then you need to reevaluate the things that you view as blessings in your life. And I believe in the power of this so much that I wanted to put my money where my mouth is. So uh, I, bought, I bought a bunch of journals. I bought them yellow on purpose. Not because I, I didn't even think about the throwback thing on the Packer thing today. I bought them because yellow makes me happy. When I look at yellow, this makes me smile. It's, hey, it's yellow. It's, it's joy. It just seems like joy to me. It just, I don't know, maybe it's because Sonny's name is Sonny and it makes me think of Sonny. Thank you for the sun that you shine. Y'all know that song? Sunny. Anyway, that's a jam. Anyway, I bought a hundred of these and the people in first service was hog, greedy hog pigs, as my, grand, as my grandmother would say. Don't be a greedy little hog pig. They was greedy hog pigs and they took them all. So I bought y'all a journal, but somebody first service stole them. <laughs> Hopefully they're going to keep a journal in it, but here's the deal. I, I bought a hundred of these journals. I didn't think that people would like, maybe I underestimated y'all, but they... They took it pretty serious. And so here's the deal. If you want to do this and you want one of these journals, if you'll just go to the Welcome Center and you'll leave them your name, then, uh, then I will order you one of these and we'll have them here for you uh, next Sunday. Because here's the thing. I promise you, if you do this for the next two months, it doesn't have to be every day, but I promise you, if you do this for the next two months, it'll change your life forever. And it'll be a record of the legacy of God's blessing in your life and the kind of thing that your kids and grandkids will be able to look back on in their times of struggle. Plus, when you do this, your view of God will grow bigger, His grace will seem richer, and your troubles will become smaller. As you remind yourself, in Christ, you are blessed. Would you close your eyes all across this place? You're blessed. You're blessed in the city, you're blessed in the fields, you're blessed in your coming, you're blessed in your going. Everything about your life is blessed. You may not recognize it, you may not realize it, but there's a caveat to that statement. Everything in your life is blessed if you're in Christ. The Bible is clear that if you're not in Christ, everything in your life is the opposite. It is not blessed. You may have success, you may experience some favor, but in the end, Everything you do will be cursed. Because the ultimate goal isn't to become the next Jeff Bezos and be the richest person in the world. The ultimate goal is to go to heaven. So maybe you're here today and, and you haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that there's only two things that you have to do to be saved. You have to confess and profess. Confess you're a sinner and profess 
that Jesus can change you. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to, I wanna change that. Before I leave here, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that. Here's how, we're gonna do two things. In just a moment with nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask for people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me if they want to receive Jesus, if you want to claim your blessings. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down and then I'm gonna ask everyone in here to repeat a prayer after me. And if you repeat it in your heart, you mean it. The Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'd like to. I'd like to claim my blessing of eternal life with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me? Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thanks. 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 Okay, I'm going to ask everyone in here to repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, you've just inherited the greatest blessing eternity has ever seen. We love that for you, and we want the opportunity to help you in this journey. So if you'd let us know that you made that decision, you can either take the hello card, tear off the bottom part, fill it out, check the, the box that's highlighted in yellow that says, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. You can put it in the, box, the black buckets when they come around take it out to the Welcome Center, or you can scan the QR code. Either way, we just want the opportunity to connect with you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time before we receive the Lord's tithes and your offering. But if you're in here and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy, I'm a Jesus girl, but I haven't been walking in God's blessing, but I'd like to. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you today? Yes, yes, yes. God, for so many people in this place, I pray that your blessings would well up within them, that you'd give us the strength to claim them in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.